This week on Geeksplain, we're counting down the top five spookiest episodes of Doctor Who. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and if you can't already hear it, my voice is on uh, recovery right now. Um, I, uh, I, for those of you who don't know, I am uh, doing the Halloween uh, experience with Warner Brothers Studios out here in Los Angeles. Uh, part of the Horror Made Here event that the actual studio is putting on. If you haven't gotten your tickets already, definitely get them. This past weekend was our opening weekend, and we completely sold out. So get your tickets ASAP, as soon as you can. And uh, yeah, but as fun as it is, unfortunately, that means that my voice suffers because as a scare actor as part of this uh part of this event i am yelling i am shouting i am doing a lot of stuff and doing that for seven hours straight um throughout an entire or throughout an entire weekend seven hours at a time like it it gets on you a little bit so um i apologize if my voice is not as uh as velvety smooth as it usually is but uh i still wanted to get this episode out because we are right in the thick of october halloween season and we also got a brand new doctor who episode this past sunday uh i wasn't able to watch it live but i did watch it uh monday night and um after we go through the countdown, I'm going to give you my thoughts on the episode, so definitely stay tuned for that. And at the end of the episode, just like all of our episodes, uh, we will hit you with some uh, This Week in Comics, where I will let you know what comics I'm picking up this week and what comics I think you should pick up too. So this episode, since we are in the spooky season, is uh, the top five spookiest episodes of Doctor Who. And I wanted to do something Doctor Who themed because uh, watching the episode on Sunday really just reignited my love for the series. Um, Spoiler alert for the review later on in the episode. I really enjoyed the episode. But (laughs) um, so I wanted to do something kind of horror inspired and I thought Doctor Who has plenty of scary moments, scary episodes, so why not compile a list of the top five? Uh, Before we get right into it, I will uh, put up my disclaimer. This is my personal top five. This list is subjective, not objective, so uh, you might disagree with my choices. You might... uh, agree with my choices if you do disagree feel free to let me know uh what you think how you would number them how you would order them in which episodes you think i either missed or should take a better look at uh feel free to reach out to me at uh geeksplain pod that's at geeksplain pod on twitter uh you can also send me emails because i'm an old man and i still read emails at uh geeksplained at gmail.com 
So feel free to do that. Um, we will go ahead and jump right into the list. So at number five, I have God Complex, or The God Complex. Uh, this was an 11th Doctor story. And before we get too far into the list, I wanted to make sure that you guys know that I had a couple rules for this list. Uh, I wanted to make sure that at least uh, one... Every... Uh, I wanted to make sure all Doctors were represented. That means 9, 10, 11, and 12. And I wanted to make sure that this is a comprehensive list for the modern era, or New Who, as a lot of people call it. Uh, the classic era has a lot of like spooky, uh, kind of disturbing type of episodes, but just with the production value and everything, as wonderful as those episodes are, I never got really truly freaked out by them. So um, this is going to be completely comprised of New Who episodes, and um, yeah, so uh, we're going to jump right into... Uh, God Complex. So God Complex was written by Toby Whithouse, who has written a few really good episodes for Doctor Who. He was the writer for uh, School Reunion, which was a 10th Doctor story that reintroduced Sarah Jane. Um, he wrote, I, I believe it was uh, Shakespeare in Venice. Um, he's He's got a good handle on like horror-type stories, uh, disturbing... Um, just really interesting ways of telling a story and this story is unsettling it is creepy it is just one of the when i first saw it i remember watching it i was doing a whole like run through to get myself ready for um uh, the Doctor Who 50th anniversary episode and I came upon this episode and I didn't know what to think of it after I watched it for the first time because there's a lot going on uh, the Doctor, Amy and Roy, Rory uh, happen upon an 80s slash 70s style hotel uh, very shining, very Kubrick inspired and uh, this hotel is is haunted is stalked by this creature who feeds on what seems to be people's fears um you see multiple pictures of people on the wall with their name and their greatest fear and it's really interesting to me uh when you start to delve into kind of psychological aspects uh the um way it was shot with multiple cut-ins of uh people's close-ups you know ranging from like screaming in terror to like these really unsettling um uh, just really creepy smiles, uh, the whole praise him deal. It's r really interesting to me, and it was really, uh, really unsettling. And throughout the entire episode, you get to see people's fears. Uh, one of the characters that's introduced, Rita, who was a great, great character, uh, you find out her fear is disappointing her father. And, like, there's all kinds of different... There's one that's, like, they stumble into this room a couple times of a really sad clown, which would probably be in my room. Um, it's just... It's this idea of an entire establishment, a hotel that's just based on people's fears that is really, really unsettling. And again, it's very Kubrick-inspired. It's very The Shining, uh, right down to the music that, like, suddenly turns on and off throughout the hotel, just the decor, the whole, the whole thing. Um, 
we get certain uh, aspects revealed about certain characters as well. Uh, we see the Doctor walk into a room that was made for him, and we don't get to see what's actually in the room. We just see it from his perspective, a view from his eye, and he says, you know, of course, who could, who else could it be? And he closes it, and like I thought that was a masterful way to... Uh, to tackle that uh we also find out through the course of this episode that rory isn't afraid of anything uh it kept showing him um exits it kept showing him ways out because it had nothing to feed on when it came to rory and then when it came to amy we find that her room is her waiting for the doctor and her fear that he'll never come back and so what you find out throughout this is that the hotel isn't really based on fears it's based on faith the rooms themselves may be based on the greatest fear of the occupant but when someone is faced with their fear they fall back on their faith to uh, get them through it and this monster who is stalking the halls and killing its victims feeds off of that faith and that's what it what draws it into its victims. And I thought that was a really, really cool aspect for a creature. And a really well... Um, just a well-put-together, well-thought-out uh, concept. Uh, we do find out that to defeat this creature, the Doctor has to eliminate the faith that Amy has in him, which is, again, a brilliant piece of dialogue where he is basically just telling her, you know, I knew this would happen. I knew that I'd be standing over your corpse. I'm vain. I brought you with me because I was lonely and all this stuff. And it finally breaks her, um, breaks her faith in him. And it's just, it's sad. It's really sad. So this episode ranges from being kind of terrifying all the way to just heart-wrenching because at the end of the episode the doctor brings amy and rory back and he basically you know lets them go because this is then the lead up to uh the doctor's quote-unquote death in the season so i really enjoyed it i thought it was a great new concept for the doctor to kind of face and it's one of those ideas that he has to figure out throughout the episode what the creature is what its motive is and how to defeat it which is always a part of good horror stories as the quote-unquote heroes or the victims trying to figure out how to combat the creature or whatever that's stalking them and either succeeding or ultimately failing but yeah it's not the scariest episode once you start to um really get into the reveal of the creature and what it's doing but the the moments of like you know when amy says praise him and you realize like oh no you get the dread the sense of like this coming inevitability that's it's going to keep chasing you down until it catches you. It's uh, it's it's great. It's a great, um, it's a great monster story. So that's my number five. Now for number four, we have the empty child slash the doctor dances. I'm gonna be counting uh, two parters as a uh, as a single entry. Um, I probably should have said already, but uh, spoilers abound for these episodes. So um, I'm gonna be getting into. Uh, 
the plot and everything about that, so just be forewarned. Um, but yeah, number four is The Empty Child slash The Doctor Dances. This is a ninth Doctor story, and this is this was the first episode of the New Who era to win an award. Uh, this episode deals with the uh, sudden outbreak of gas-masked people among the backdrop of World War II. Uh, we also get an introduction to Captain Jack Harkness, and it's uh, it's unsettling. Um, one thing that really, personally to me, gets me and really freaks me out is um, uh, its tension, its creep factor. It's really just this unsettling aspect. If you can get me with a performance of someone who is being unsettling and being really just intense, like that can get me pretty quickly. And this tackles the idea of terrifying children because one of the uh, most terrifying things, I think, if you're going through like a haunted house or like a maze, get your tickets now at horrormadier.com, is you come around the corner, it's dark, and you find this child. And for some reason, children terrify me in these kind of... Um, these kind of settings, especially, you know, with the aesthetic of the gas mask saying, are you my mummy? Like, it's really, it's scary. And like the visual of the gas mask is just, because you can't see their face, you can't see their eyes, there's no expression, it's blank. It's, uh, it's creepy. It's super creepy. And so this episode deals a lot with uh, unsettling inevitability. And it's this idea that you can run, you can hide, but eventually it's going to find you. And we start to find throughout the episodes that this is, of a sort, a kind of infection. So, like, this puts it... Th this is the episode that knocked out, um... Uh, what is it? Waters of Mars, for me. It was a toss-up between those two, and I picked this one because it was more of a... I don't know. It was just a creep factor here. The Waters of Mars is incredibly creepy, but it has more of a zombie aspect where this one, you don't really understand the... Um, you don't really understand how the infection spreads until much later in the, uh, in the second episode. And, you know, they have the Doctor, they have the sequence where um, at the end of part one, at the end of The Empty Child, uh, the Doctor who... or the... Um, uh, the doctor at the hospital, not our doctor, the ninth doctor, uh, gets infected and his face just morphs into the uh, gas mask and you find out that they're not wearing gas masks, their faces have become the gas mask. And apparently I was doing some research and they said that initially they had like this really just ugh, teeth grinding like sound effect where like the original writer, which was Stephen Moffat, um, visualized the skull cracking under the pressure of the face mor morphing into the gas mask but apparently they took that out just because it was super unsettling to viewers but man it's just it's super creepy and then at that same point at the end of the first episode uh the nanny who is in charge of all these orphans uh gets cornered by one of the gas mask kids and it's just it's it's super creepy and i mean the doctor dances i think this is one of the best two-parters of the modern era i think uh the low i don't want to say it's low quality because it's not but 
comparatively to how Doctor Who is today, the lower quality I think adds to it a bit of um, a bit of realism, a bit of greater realism when you have these advancing forces, and it's just it can come out of nowhere. Like there's a sequence where. Uh, the gas mask kid is like trying to reach through like a doggy door and you keep hearing him around this house as the nanny and the kids are hiding from him and it's just it's really it's really unsettling so that is my number four uh number three is midnight this is a 10th doctor story and i was doing a little bit of digging around just to see what everybody else's lists looked like uh, from some popular YouTubers, uh, other uh, articles online, that kind of thing. And this episode seemed to find its way onto almost every single list. Uh, Midnight is unsettling. I will let you know right now that I am not... I don't really like Midnight as an episode. I remember watching it and being really just... I don't know. Something about it didn't click with me, and it really bothered me, and I just I didn't like it from the outset. But... Watching it again recently for this list, I can appreciate its horror aspects. Um, this is a classic locked room story, which uh, is the kind of framework of all of all of your cast, all of your events happen in one locked room, which is essentially this kind of uh, space bus that's going on a. Um, on a tour towards a so they're on this planet called midnight and this tour bus is going towards a an attraction on the planet which is essentially a waterfall of sapphires and due to some kind of like storm or whatever they have to go off their normal tour path to kind of get there and the bus breaks down and then we start to get into the horror aspects this episode deals with a lot of tension a lot of claustrophobia because of the locked room framework and one of the most interesting parts of this episode i think is the parallels between having an unseen monster and the horror of a group mentality uh we see the uh if you ever watched the mist it was not a great movie but um it really shined a light on the idea that a group mentality can be really dangerous in that story there's a religious zealot who she convinces the entire uh group of people inside of this little like quick mart that um they have to sacrifice people to the monsters outside so like she convinces them the group like starts killing people it's it's very almost lord of the flies-esque and that happens here too so basically what happens is this unseen creature possesses one of the passengers and the doctor has no idea what's going on has no idea what's um what this creature is but is fascinated by it and this creature begins mimicking the voice patterns of and the words of the other passengers slowly like catching up to them in pace the gaps between them speaking and it replying or mimicking back at them become shorter and shorter and shorter until it's saying the exact same words at the exact same time matching them beat for beat for beat and it's just, it's really unsettling the actress who plays sky who is the woman who gets possessed by this creature does a great job at being just creepy as hell her eyes dart back and forth like she has a very otherworldly performance to her uh david tennant's performance in this is masterful as this character who is 
not sure of what's going on. He tries to take charge, but the unrest and the suspicion from other passengers ends up nearly causing his death. So this creature continues to mimic and mimic and mimic until it starts to get ahead of the doctor and starts saying things before he says them, which leads the other passengers to suddenly believe that the whatever this unseen force has has moved from sky into the doctor so they're going to you know throw him out and it's just it's terrifying it's really terrifying because like if the uh the hostess of this craft didn't step in and took the basically sacrificed herself to kill sky the creature uh the doctor would have been killed he would have been thrown out into this planet which the atmosphere is non-existent so they would have burned up and it's it's terrifying and one thing that um that this episode gets right that a lot of the um of the russell t davies era got right is the idea of fear in the mundane so what i mean by that is taking something that is otherwise part of day-to-day life something normal you hear in your everyday life like people copying each other mimicking them if you know somebody super well you can almost predict what they're going to say when it comes to common phrases and turning that on its head there's a moment at the very end where the doctor is talking to donna and he um he says molto bene and she repeats it back to him to you know to kind of give him you know some support and you see how shaken he is when he just like he looks back and he's like don't do that don't do that and you can see that this experience has shaken him to his core and one of the most terrifying aspects of a doctor who episode is when the doctor is not in control most episodes when it comes to any of the doctors ranging from eccleston all the way to capaldi um when they are not in control or they don't seem to have any semblance of control is when you really as a viewer get afraid not just for the doctor but for anyone else in that situation so it's it's terrifying it brings a new um fear to something that you hear in your day-to-day life which um involves another uh another entry in the list later on down the line but overall again not my favorite episode but i can respect that it is an insanely creepy and spooky episode so number two is sleep no more this was a 12th doctor episode and it veered away from the typical doctor who format in that this episode is essentially a found footage story so the episode opens up with um a a scientist who's basically giving you just recounting the tale of what happened though at the beginning he says you know don't watch this don't watch this you shouldn't watch this but if you're going to this is what happened and so we we find that this crew of um they seem to be like some like rescue crew some kind of SWAT team going into this ship very uh very dead space style and they're the ship's empty it's dark the power reserves are barely on and they come upon the doctor and clara who also happen to be there and it's shot in this found footage uh this found footage format where it keeps uh checking into different cameras throughout the uh throughout the ship uh sometimes on a helmet camera that kind of thing so 
Uh, it's really interesting tackling a Doctor Who story from that format. I don't think we've ever seen that before. And it adds to the creep factor because you're experiencing the story along with the person whoever's perspective that you're experiencing at that moment. Also, the monsters in here, the Sandmen, are terrifying to look at. And they are, just as I was saying with uh, The Empty Child, it's this unsettling inevitability that these creatures can't be killed. They just constantly advance until they consume you. Uh, the horrific visuals not just of the creatures but of the idea that these creatures are spawned from sleep these creatures uh gain sentience through this uh project called the morpheus project and the morpheus project is essentially this cell the sleep deprivation pod you go in there you're asleep for maybe like five minutes and then it can keep you awake for a month uh, it was made to help with productivity and everything, but you find out that the sleep dust, which is the you know the um, the buildup around your eyes when you wake up, is essentially being reanimated into these creatures. Uh, this is also kind of a mad scientist story when you get the um, the reveal that there are no cameras in the. Uh, in the ship and that what we've been assuming as a viewer are the cameras are actually the sleep dust observing and recording and you find out that the scientist from the beginning you know created this and has always intended for this to be a uh, for the sandmen to be a thing it's really it's unsettling it's it takes the viewer and kind of inserts them, which is what found footage movies should be doing, inserts them into the story and makes you feel like a part of the action. And then the ending is so, so unsettling. I remember I was watching it with some friends. Uh, quick shout out to Andrew, Jacob, and John. Uh, we were watching this episode at night, and when it ended, you find that the scientist from the beginning had this... Had this uh, Essentially, this episode is what the real Morpheus Project was, and that this Morpheus Project it isn't, you know, a viral infection that spreads outward. It's a it's an infection through radio signals. So the fact that you watch the episode means that the radio signal has spread to your TV or your computer or your phone or whatever you're watching it on, and that it uh it's already begun and that you're already a part of it. And so the very end, you know, he kind of, uh, he, you know, he rubs his eyes just like you would in the morning and his face concaves. You find, you see that he's a Sandman or a Sandman and he like, his voice starts to distort. And I remember we shut it off afterwards and I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to sleep tonight. It's like, it's so creepy and it ends with like this distorted voice saying, you've got something there in your eye and it's like again it's just it's taking a concept a normal day-to-day -day thing that you see that you experience in your day-to-day -day life turns it on its head and just freaks you out about it so this was an episode that i have only seen twice the first time was on the initial broadcast and then the second time was to rewatch it for this list and man it's just it's an episode that i can't watch more than a couple times because it like it shakes you especially if you watch it late at night but that is number two it was almost number one 
but I decided to put it at this number two. Because number one, if you haven't guessed it already, is Blink. So I don't think this is a surprise to anyone, but uh, Blink is consistently a spooky episode of Doctor Who. Uh, Blink was one of the first episodes recommended to me when I first became a fan on what I should watch. Uh, A little bit of context, I joined up with becoming a Doctor Who fan right around uh, Series 7 with Matt Smith, so I had a lot of catching up to do. So I remember watching this because I put out, you know, what episodes should I check out, where should I start, and people kept saying, Blink, 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 Blink. Um, Of course, I ended up starting with uh with Eccleston and chronologically working my way through but I made a mental note to myself to keep an eye out for Blink and Blink is fantastic it is an excellent entry point for anyone who is like oh what's Doctor Who about what's going on it gives you the perfect introduction to him as a character because you're experiencing it as a viewer not knowing who the Doctor is along with the main character Sally Sparrow who does not know who the Doctor is and you learn about him throughout the episode and find out that he can travel through time that there are these creatures called the Weeping Angels and all it's just a well-told story this is another episode from Stephen Moffat and as much crap as he gets for uh pretty much everything he does when it comes to the world of Doctor Who um he knows how to write some horror for sure uh so this is a 10th Doctor story uh it's a very human focused so it's actually a kind of a Doctor Light episode And I don't mean Dr. Light like uh, the DC villain. I mean, this is an episode that doesn't feature a whole lot of the Doctor himself. Like I said, it focuses on Sally Sparrow, who is basically following these clues to find out what these things called the Weeping Angels are as they hunt her. Uh, The Weeping Angels are creatures that look like uh, ordinary angel statues, but whenever you look away from them, they can move but when you look at them again they freeze and they become statues again um it's it's uh it's terrifying it's again that idea of unsettling inevitability unsettling inevitability you're being hunted by something that you you cannot do anything to it's almost the uh, the jason Voorhees dynamic where you can't kill him you can't kill these things but they can kill you and i mean Technically, they don't kill you. They just zap you back in time and let you live out the rest of your days in the past. But at the same point, that's scary. That's terrifying that you could one second be looking at the statue. You look away. You look back, and suddenly you're somewhere else, some when else. So it's it's pretty pretty scary at times. Very unsettling, the idea of these uh these statues that are constantly chasing and hunting you and they can be anywhere and they wouldn't look out of place and uh that it's another thing that like i touched on before with russell t davies era the fear in the mundane where they take something as ordinary as statues and as blinking and makes you afraid of it um i remember after this directly after watching this i was very uneasy around statues for at least a good week so it was uh it was very very well told it's very tight storytelling the just the horror aspect is all there it's got pretty much ticks the box off of every other entry on this list anything that you like about the four episodes on this list before this one 
aspects of that can be found in this episode. It's a tight story, it's well told, introduces a new and terrifying villain and monster, and it just puts a spotlight on the human element of Doctor Who stories, which sometimes I think we kind of get away from. So that is my list that is the top five spookiest episodes for doctor who i'll do a quick recap number five was the god complex number four was the empty child slash the doctor dances number three was midnight number two was sleep no more and number one is blink so again if you disagree with the list let me know i would love to hear your lists and we will move right on to the review of the newest doctor who episode the woman who fell to earth So The Woman Who Fell to Earth is the newest episode. This is series 11 or season 11. Technically, it's like season like 39 or whatever of the full Doctor Who show. But um, this was the debut episode of Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor, along with Chris Chibnall as the newest showrunner. Um, And I just, I really like this episode, guys. I really, really enjoyed it. If you... um, if you enjoy Doctor Who, you're going to watch it anyway. You're going to like it. Um, I, I hope you like it. <laughs> because this is, this is so... It feels fresh. This is a fresh take. And immediately you get that feeling from it just from the cinematography. It is shot beautifully. It feels more cinematic than I think any season of Doctor Who before it. And it's so, so good. Um, You can tell that this is a doctor that hasn't really decided who she is yet. Uh, Jodie Whittaker puts on an amazing performance with a lot of different doctors kind of factoring into her performance in this episode. Uh, She even remarks that she's still finishing, kind of figuring out who she is. I saw a lot of Tennant with a little touch of Matt Smith as well. Uh, She does reference that, you know, an hour ago I was a silver-haired Scotsman. And uh, it's it's really, I think, having her in here giving doc- the Doctor a fresh perspective is really cool. And the fact that it doesn't feel like she's like, oh, well, I'm a woman now and I have to act like a woman. I have to do whatever that means. Because I think what makes her the Doctor is that she's the doctor she's not a woman she's not a man she is an alien and regardless of whatever face she wears it doesn't change who she is on the inside so i really enjoyed her i thought she was dynamic i thought that she moved the story along in every scene that she was in the focus was on her and that's where it should be uh the tardis team the new tardis team is also was also introduced in this episode uh, with Ryan, Yaz, and Graham as our kind of rounding out our team. Uh, Ryan is an interesting character. He didn't get enough to do, I don't think, in this episode. Um, he he has, I think it's called dyspraxia, dyspraxia, something like that, where he has like a disorder that messes with his hand-eye coordination. And so throughout the episode, he's trying to learn how to ride a bike. And it's interesting because I'd never heard of this disorder before. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more about what he does. I don't think we really get to see who he is 
throughout this episode we see snippets of him but it was really i think an episode to establish everyone and in that establishing everyone means you can't focus on one or two characters which i'm sure other episodes this season will uh yaz immediately i was into yaz you know she takes that she has a uh, kind of a take charge mentality her opening scene tells you all you need to know about her she kind of gave me an amy pond uh impression uh and i don't mean impression as like oh she's trying to be amy pond but she had that same fiery personality that same take charge attitude that amy had and i like that in a companion because the doctor doesn't always know exactly where he she thinks things are going but will always pretend to and i think it a uh, a companion that can call the doctor out on that is going to be beneficial not just for the doctor as a character but for the storytelling as a whole the only character i'm not sold on right now is graham uh graham is a grumpy old man who throughout the episode is skeptical about everything that's going on he has flashes of moments that i really enjoyed like his um his moment with the other bus drivers on like you know have you seen any strange creatures going about and well the other bus driver says well my wife went out with her friends for girls night if that's what you mean and they all laugh and he's just like yeah <laughs> yeah no but seriously like so i i'm interested uh i don't know if i like him just yet but i'm hoping that throughout the season um it changes changes my mind uh the villain in this episode is tim shaw uh he is a predator-like character who is hunting a human he is a blue character who like kills people and then takes their teeth and then like i don't know how he does it but he attaches their teeth to his skin it's really is gross it's gross it's gross it's not like unsettling like some of the other uh villains and horrible like monsters earlier in this list or even other monsters like the zygons i think the zygons are terrifying this guy with the teeth i was like ah, i don't know but he was fine um i don't think he's gonna be one of those all-time great characters but i loved that he was a physical threat for the doctor and that he kind of presented this idea of um someone who is trying to fight against who they are he is sent down you know to complete this challenge with no help no weapons and he cheats throughout the entire thing because he that's who he is and he knows he's unworthy so he's going to use handicaps to allow himself to do this and that speaks to him as a villainous character and then when the doctor ends up besting him outthinking him and outsmarting him he you know disappears and i don't know if we're going to see him again we might who knows but i enjoyed him as a one-off kind of villain if that's what he ends up being uh this is also this is kind of an example of a classic story with fresh execution uh we all know the story of the doctor post-regeneration he's dazed he doesn't know what's going on and he has to deal with the threat as he's trying to figure out who he is but now uh not just with the cinematography not just with the um the i guess fresh um fresh storytelling perspective but seeing jodie whittaker's uh 13th doctor figure out what to do as she goes was something that i personally really enjoyed uh there's a moment where because she's without her tardis she's without her sonic screwdriver she can constantly reaches into the pocket where the sonic screwdriver should be and it isn't there and it bothers her she even remarks about how 
she hates empty pockets and there's a moment in this like i want to say it's like a factory or like a welding area where she decides you know what i'm tired of this i'm gonna make a sonic screwdriver and watching her do that that whole sequence was something that really spoke to me as a viewer and really got me and i'm gonna tell you why because it reminded me of iron man for those of you who either haven't seen iron man which seriously come on or haven't seen it in a while um one of the things that i think um really endeared Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark to people was watching him create his first Iron Man armor out of a box of scraps in a cave. And I think once that sequence went through, we got to see this is who he is, this is who he's always going to be. It's something that I think for me was one of the best parts about Iron Man 3 was him having no armor and having to use his wits and his smarts to complete his task and this is exactly what it was here i got lots of iron man vibes out of her when she's making her sonic screwdriver and yeah it looks haphazard but that i think i think it works for her character because her character right now is an improvisational doctor who isn't really sure how things are going to go and we see throughout the episode that things get subverted on what she expects to happen and she has to adapt and i like that i like that aspect of her it puts us right in her shoes to be like we're not sure what's going to happen either but we have to hope that there's going to be a way to get out of it and so probably my favorite sequence is that montage of her creating the sonic screwdriver and i as haphazard as it looks i like it i think it's really cool looking um so yeah uh I really enjoyed that, and I think a lot of that comes down to the grounded and simple kind of story that this was. This wasn't a, you know, we've seen in past stories like for the um, for the eleventh hour, you know, this unstoppable uh, creature is going to destroy the earth if it doesn't find this prisoner that escaped. So the doctor has to deal with protecting the world. Uh, they've seen the Christmas invasion where the doctor has to protect the world from an invasion of the Atraxia. And then we've seen like with uh, deep breath where a CGI dinosaur, a CGI T-Rex is marching around through London. So this felt very grounded. This felt very real. This felt like this could be totally happening at another point or another place on earth from where I am, where I was viewing it. And I wouldn't, question that okay that looks unbelievable you know in the realm of doctor who stories but i think that comes a lot down to chris chibnall as the um as the showrunner i think he brings a fresh take to it i think his writing is really good i love Broadchurch, and i think that if he brings those sensibilities where he did work with jodie whittaker extensively on that show i think it's it's a recipe for success it really is um and one last point that I wrote down in my notes is that I love the idea that they tackled the idea of change head on. At a certain point, uh, the 13th Doctor tells Tim Shaw that, you know, basically emotionally undresses him with the idea that he doesn't think he is worthy, so he has to use all these handicaps to complete this uh, rite of passage to be able to sit on the throne of his home world. And she tells him that, you know, you don't, 
I realize that this is who you've been, but it doesn't have to be who you always are. And I wrote down this quote because I thought it was really poignant, where she says, we can evolve while still staying true to who we are. And yes, it's a little ham-fisted, it's a little in your face, but for me, some people need that. Some people need to be told like, yes, I get it. We've never had a female doctor before. It's different. It's not what you're used to, but change doesn't have to be a bad thing. I think if every episode is at least as good or better than the episode that we got this past Sunday, we're in for a hell of a season. And I'm really liking Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. I love, I really enjoyed her coming up with her Doctor outfit in the thrift store. Uh, Some people have said that like, oh, you know, we had to have a throwing around clothes and a wardrobe sequence because she's a girl. And I'm like, no, that's not what it is at all every doctor has gone through that that sequence where they're trying to figure out what their uh what their costume is gonna be and i mean personally i really liked her in capaldi's outfit i thought it was really cool and she looked otherworldly but i just i i really dug what she did in this episode i'm really digging the uh the direction that seems to be going and i think that you should watch it too if you haven't watched it already go do yourself a favor watch it if you have watched it let me know what you thought about it i would love to have a dialogue with you guys about this uh, i love talking to you guys about anything when it comes to geek culture and with doctor who back in action i would love to have more of those conversations for sure so that is my uh, review for this if i had to give it some kind of arbitrary rating i would probably give it out of five i would probably give it like a a 3.5 or a 4 out of 5 because it's very very good it's a great introduction to her character and i can only hope that it goes up from here and if it does if it stays at least this level or goes even better we're in for a treat this season all right so i'm gonna try and uh, get through this list as quickly as possible this is our uh this week's segment of this week in comics because uh, i can feel my voice starting to go and i want to make sure i get this out before i uh before I have to go back on vocal rest. So uh, I legit spent all of Sunday just not saying a single word because my voice was shot. So um, hopefully I don't have to do that again. So uh, this is This Week in Comics where I'm going to tell you my top five picks for the books that you should pick up on New Comic Book Day, which is today, by the way. Uh, Pick them up at your local comic book shop. You can pick them up on any comic reading app and we will jump right into the list. Uh, my first one is Captain America number four with uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates on writing duties with art by Laniel Francis Yu and uh, covered by Alex Ross. So I've really been enjoying Captain America so far. It's kind of, you can tell that Ta-Nehisi Coates likes to tell stories that slowly build. Not a whole lot has happened in the last three issues, but it's keeping you or at least for me, it's keeping me um, interested enough to keep going into the next issue. So I'm assuming once we get into later into this issue or even in the next issue, we're going to have some bombs start dropping, like literal and physical, or uh, literal and um, metaphorical. So I'll go ahead and jump into the uh, into the synopsis. Winter in America continues. With Sharon missing, Cap must single-handedly invade the stronghold of his enemies. 
But even if he does make it through, what's waiting for him is a hundred times more formidable. Taskmaster. Ooh, I kind of kind of felt that uh that bass in my voice. <laughs> so again, I'm really interested in this issue, especially because I really enjoy Taskmaster as a villain. And fights between Cap and Taskmaster are always interesting, so I definitely think you should pick this one up. Uh, my next choice here is Superman number four, uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Ivan Reese. Uh, this series, I'm still, like I said, I've been checking in with you guys on this issue, on this series. I'm starting to get really just bored with it, and I hate to say that, but um, not a lot has been happening. It's not as interesting as I thought it was going to be. I'm sure that at the end of this first arc, something bombastic is going to happen, and it's going to try at least to keep people like going but i just i can't get behind this i'm i'm not enjoying it so far i'm much more enjoying action comics and uh anyway here's the synopsis as superman fights to protect the world from rogal czar and the kryptonian convicts trapped inside the phantom zone the greatest minds on earth devise a risky plan to return the planet from the deadly prison with the earth continuing to crack and crumble and its he greatest heroes fall, can the Man of Steel hold the line and give his adopted world a chance to escape? Again, it's it's a great premise. I love the art. I'm just, I'm not connecting with this story for whatever reason. I'm going to keep picking it up because I promised you guys and I promised myself that I would stay on until the first arc is done, but they're going to have to do a lot of damage control over the next couple issues to keep me picking this book up. But a book that I have kept my interest in so far is Avengers, and my next pick is Avengers number 9, written by Jason Aaron with art by David Marquez. I love David Marquez's art, it's so good. And the last issue set it up for a collision course between the Avengers and Namor, and I am all in on Namor basically uh, declaring war on the Avengers, so here we go. World War Below. With the underworld... I'm going to start that again. With the underwater world on the brink of war, the Avengers go aquatic to save the day, but air breathers are no longer welcome in the undersea city of Atlantis. And Namor, the submariner, lord of the seven seas, has a bold new plan that will change the balance of power on Earth forever. So I, I've really been enjoying the book so far. I I think Jason Aaron, for me personally at this point, can do no wrong. But I, I'm i all in for this book. I'm, I'm ready to see Namor kick some ass. We got a little bit of Atlanteans kind of running around um, on a boat in the last issue. And uh, this issue, I think, is going to be more... It might be more action-heavy. Uh, last issue was more about the interpersonal relationships between the team members, which, of course, I enjoy. But um, I'm looking forward to some kick-ass uh, Avengers action. Alternatively, heading back over to DC, uh, an, a book that I don't think is going to be too heavy on the action, but really heavy on the noir, is uh, Detective Comics number 990. Uh, this is being written by James Robinson with art by Steven Segovia and John Paul Leone. Uh, the last issue was really interesting. Um, again, 
with the reveal that uh, Cobra is kind of behind what's going on, I I was kind of like thrown off by that. But I enjoy this detective, uh, really this detective style story. This is called Detective Comics, and I really like this idea that we're going back to the namesake of making these detective stories, noir stories. So um, I'll jump into the synopsis because it's a bit of a doozy. Batman is hot on the trail of a murder suspect, but first, he'll have to get past Two-Face. Even though Harvey Dent seems to be asserting control, how long before he becomes a sociopathic criminal once more? More importantly, what is Dent's connection to the victim, and what does it all have to do with the terrorist organization of slithering serpents called Cobra? Whatever it is, it's big enough to reunite Jim Gordon and former district attorney Harvey Dent, and that meeting alone is worth the cover price. Batman's newest partner, Two-Face? As Harvey Dent's persona asserts fragile control over the villain's psyche, the Dark Knight, Commissioner Gordon, and their ally-turned-enemy-turned-ally must work together to stop Cobra's terrorist attack against Gotham City. So yeah, a team-up between Gordon and Two-Face. We don't get a lot of those stories kind of reflecting on the fact that Gordon and Dent used to be uh, used to be on the same team, used to be working towards the same goals. So I'm interested to see what James Robinson does in reuniting these characters. But our last pick and the big comic coming out this week is Spider-Geddon number one. This is part one of five. Uh, it's being written by Christos Gage with uh, Dan Slott and art by George, or, yeah, George Molina or Jorge Molina. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's one of those, I promise. But uh, yeah, so this is the big event for... Um, for the winter uh bringing back all of your favorite characters from the original spider-verse uh event along with new favorite the peter parker from the spider-man ps4 game that's right if you didn't pick up uh spider get spider get in number zero uh that was an issue that takes place in that world post the events of the game and uh so if you haven't beaten that game there's going to be spoilers in that book but uh that issue was him being recruited by the superior spider-man who at this point as far as we know is the superior octopus so it's going to be interesting to see how that transition is made but um yeah this is the big event this is the return of the inheritors this is round two for uh, the war that started back in 2014 so i'll get into the synopsis revenge of the spider-verse Back in 2014, Spider-Verse brought every Spider-Man ever together. This event, spinning out of Spider-Man number 800, has Christos Gage and Dan Slott teaming up to destroy them all. The inheritors have somehow gotten out of their radioactive prison planet and made their way to the Marvel Universe. It's going to take a whole spider army to keep them from taking it all. Starring Spider-Man, Dr. Octopus, Spider-Gwen, Miles Morales, Spider-Woman, the Spider-Man from the anticipated and well-received video game, and, well, every Spider-Man and Spider-Woman ever, including some brand new ones. With George Molina on art, the end of all spiders never looked so good. Whoa, that is a whopper of a synopsis. So, um, 
yeah, the big thing about this is that the Spider-Verse event took place on a bunch of different Earths as well as uh, Loom World, and this event is going to be bringing all of them to the 616. So I'm interested. I'm really looking forward to seeing this issue. I think if you have to pick up any book this week, pick this one up for sure. So that is my list. I'll run down uh, the top five just to recap. Uh, We have... Captain America number one, Superman number four, Avengers number nine, Detective Comics number 990, and Spider-Geddon number one of five. So that is it for this week's episode. Again, I will plug it here. Um, If you want to get in touch with me, I would love to have a conversation with you guys. If if there are any comics I missed, if there are any... um, personal favorite spooky episodes of doctor who that you think i should check out feel free to reach out to me on twitter at geek explained pod that's at geek explained pod or send me an email to geek explained at gmail.com i answer and i respond and i see every email and message sent to me so feel free to keep on doing that uh next week we will hopefully continue on with our spooky theme um For those of you who have asked, I haven't seen Venom yet. I've gotten mixed reviews from friends and peers, so I will probably be seeing that soon, but we'll see. Uh, But for this episode, I think we are going to wrap it up here. It's been fun. I love jumping back into Doctor Who this week, and I can't wait to see what happens with the next episode. Let me know if you would like to see more episodes about Doctor Who, any more countdowns, any more reviews, if you'd like me to do a weekly review on um, on the Doctor Who episodes as they come out in my episodes, feel free to let me know that as well. And just, yeah, uh, feel free to also give us... Uh, reviews uh five-star review on stitcher itunes tune in uh google play really 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 helps out this podcast a lot so feel free to do that and if you do leave a five-star review i will go ahead and read that on the air for the next episode so i will see you guys or i guess i'll hear you guys or talk to you guys i guess uh, on the next episode and for geek explain this is eric azana thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time Bye.